Well, good evening, everybody. Hope everyone's doing well, and um, welcome to our house. We're still uh, in quarantine here at the leper colony with uh, Miss Chris. So, um, her official um, quarantine ends on Friday. So, um, our intent at this point is to have church still on Sunday, and um, um, and if anything changes, we'll let you know about that. Uh, but um, uh, which following the guidelines from the state of Tennessee, they actually called her and checked on her uh, since she tested positive for COVID and went through the process of the quarantine and, and all of that. So, um, so and she's recovering well and, and doing good and, and um, um, still beating us at uh, card games and things. So um, I think she's doing just fine there. So um, just a couple of notes. Um, normally we have our uh, prayer meeting on uh, the Friday, the first Friday of the month. So, um, so that's this Friday. We'll just uh, uh, do it next month, first Friday of the month. Um, and then also normally we have our church meal on uh, Sunday mornings for Mother Mother's Day. And although we're, I think we're planning on, as of this moment, we're still planning on having church on Sunday Um we're going to put off the church meal until a week from Sunday. So instead of um, uh, whatever that is, I think the ninth is uh, Sunday the ninth. It's this coming Sunday. We'll put off the church meal until um, Sunday, May the sixteenth. And so um, we're not uh, moving Mother's Day though. You know that's beyond our our authority there. So we'll leave Mother's Day on this Sunday. But we'll have our church meal a week from Sunday, if that's okay. And uh, we'll send a, a note to everybody as well, just so that they remember uh, to do that and not bring food. If you bring food, we'll eat it, of course, but um, we're not planning on having the church meal on Sunday. So um, I think that's... Uh, we got any, any announcements? I think that's uh, everything there. So appreciate uh, everybody's continued prayers for Miss Chris and um, uh, full and speedy recovery. And so... Um, I think that's all the announcements there. So why don't we uh, we'll go ahead and, and start with opening with a prayer, and then we'll get into the Word tonight. So, Father, we thank you for this day. We thank you for blessing us each and every day. Father, we thank you for the Word of God, this, the foundation of all that we believe and know, Father, of you. We thank you for the Spirit of God, the teacher, the instructor, the guider, Father, uh, into all truth. We thank you for revelation, insight, wisdom. We thank you, Father, that the Spirit of God speaks to us each and every day, Father. Reminds us how much you love us. Father, reminds us that uh, we can know the will of God and that we can walk in His Spirit. And so, Father, we thank you for these things and we give you the praise and the honor for them, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, let's open up our Bibles to the book of Ephesians, uh, chapter 6. We'll get started there tonight. So we've been um, going through uh, the different types of prayers and we started out with uh, Ephesians 6.18, that says, Praying always with all all prayer and supplication in the Spirit, and watching thereunto with all perseverance and supplication for all the saints. Uh, and so um, one translation says, Pray at all times in the Spirit using every kind of prayer. Uh, and so there are lots of different kinds of prayers, and, and we've been going through them. Uh, and we are currently on uh, the prayer of commitment, which is when we commit uh, all the cares of our lives to the Lord. And we had read scriptures in uh, Philippians 4, 6, where it says, uh, Be careful for nothing but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving that your requests be made known unto God. And, of course, the amplified version of that says, Do not fret to have any anxiety about anything. Uh, and then, um, uh, so we read that particular scripture. And then we also read First uh, Peter chapter 5, um, uh, which says, Casting all you care upon him, for he careth for you. Uh, the amplified version of that says, Casting the whole of your care, all your anxieties, all your worries, all your concerns, once and for all on him, for he careth for you affectionately and cares about you watchfully. Uh, and so the reason why we can cast our cares upon the Lord is because he cares for us, you know, and, and if he cares for us, then uh, his desire is to help us alleviate the root cause of that care. So if it's care about a loved one, then he will help us uh, in assisting that loved one in whatever capacity that uh, he is able to uh, to help them. Uh, if it's cares about your 
health, then of course he's the healer. If it cares about your finances, then he's the one who prospers us. Uh, and so really, if you go through your cares, uh, you can ask, what cares do I have that the Lord is not willing and able to assist me with? And uh, of course, that list uh, would have to go to zero if we really believe the word of God, that there are no cares that we experience in our life where the Lord is not willing and able and uh, desires to assist us. And of course, we know that the scriptures oftentimes say for us to ask. And so uh, that's what Philippians 4, 6 says, that by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known unto God. Uh, and so the reason why we can cast our cares upon him is because he will deal with them. He will take care of whatever the issue is, uh, however he sees fit. Of course, we don't instruct him how to uh, take care of our problems. Uh, but uh, he does uh, tell us to uh, cast them upon him. And and really, that's First Peter's uh words is they cast our cares upon him and it's really that's an action verb to cast and that's really an action uh, an effort that we have to put forth that they don't just go away and you know a lot of times uh, Christians uh, one of the things I observed in the world when I worked in the world was that uh, uh, lead, good leaders were really hard to find sometimes because many leaders uh, did what I call stick the head in the sand. If there's a problem, instead of dealing with a the problem, they would stick the head in the sand and hope it just goes away. And, um, and of course, uh, although that was a, um, a strategy, it wasn't a very successful strategy. And um, oftentimes, and more often than not, the problems would just get worse instead of uh, alleviating themselves. And, uh, and, you know, that's the way even a lot of Christians would do today, even. Instead of dealing with the situation and dealing with the care, they, they don't do anything. They, they even sometimes refuse to acknowledge that the care exists, hoping that it'll go away. And even sometimes Christians get uh, superstitious that I, don't, I will not speak of this care because if I speak about it, it'll make it worse. Well, that's really superstition because speaking of a care does not make it worse. It doesn't make it better. It, doesn't, it has nothing to do with it. You know, the only thing uh, that speaking about a care will do is if you speak about it in faith, then the faith that you speak to it about uh, or with will then cause the care to be resolved uh, in the best possible way. Uh, and so uh, there is a lot of superstition that goes on in the church that I see that because of the world and because of the way the world operates, a lot of those same uh, uh, methods and, and thoughts go into the church. Well, you know, don't say it, you're going to make it worse. Uh, and um, uh, saying it doesn't make it worse and speaking about it doesn't make it worse. Uh, in fact, uh, uh, you should use your faith to confess what the Word will do about your problem. Uh, and, uh, and that is really the only guaranteed way that the care can be taken care of uh, is by speaking about the care uh, through your prayer life uh, in faith, believing that God will resolve the care. Uh, and so, uh, and of course, we understand that, that um, uh, and we haven't gotten to intercession yet, uh, you know, for cares that are dealing with your personal life, uh, maybe it's your health or your finances or, or things that deal with you specifically, you can always guarantee 100% of the time that, that it will be resolved uh, in the best possible way uh, to your advantage. Um, the, the sometimes that our cares come up, there are cares for other people. And, uh, of course, like I said, we haven't got into the prayer of intercession yet, and we'll talk some more about that when we get to that particular prayer. But sometimes your prayers for other people can be limited if uh, the way they resolve that care requires that person's will to change. Uh, and so uh, that doesn't keep us from praying, it doesn't, and that shouldn't uh, dissuade you from praying, it shouldn't keep you from praying. Uh, but you have to understand that um, uh, praying for other people uh, sometimes requires their will to change. And of course, the Lord cannot and will not change a person's will but what he can do is to grant them revelation to let them see that the course uh, that they're on will not be a good course, that there's a better course for them. Uh, and, you know, I believe most people uh, with the amount, right amount of revelation will make the correct choice. You know, some people are just stubborn, right? I mean, uh, uh, the book of Hebrews talks about stiff-necked people. And, you know, there's sometimes even we in our lives are stiff-necked. We're, we're not going to change no matter what. And we'll say dumb things like, well, I made my bed hard. I'm going to lie in it, you know. Uh, that's just, uh, that, that just shows complete, total ignorance of the Word of God because 
so what if you made your bed hard? Just get you another mattress, right? Uh, the Lord is merciful and kind, and you're not required to suffer for your own sins. Uh, if you were, then there was no need for Jesus to come. And so don't try to replace Jesus in the earth with your own suffering because uh, you're not going to do nearly as good a job as he did in suffering. Your suffering will be somewhat justified if you if you brought this upon yourself to begin with. Uh, and not that we're saying it's okay for people to suffer. We're just saying that many times we open up the door to the devil on our own behalf, uh, by our own actions or by our own words. And through the mercy of God, he can resolve that and take care of us. So, so just know... Uh, Things that are, that are uh, within your personal life can always be resolved 100% of the time uh, if you want them to be. Uh, and then cares that you have about other people. Um, you know, your faith is uh, really, uh, my faith in dealing with other people is that God would do exactly what he says he would do. That he would grant them the spirit of wisdom and revelation and the knowledge of him. Then that's exactly what, what I believe that he's going to do. Uh, and that he won't do anything less than that. He will always show them, sometimes in a supernatural, sometimes in a spectacular way, because you choose to pray for them on, on their behalf. Uh, and so don't ever give up prayers, even if you understand that praying for others um, uh, can be limited because their will may be involved. But the way that I see it is, um, I'm just going to live forever until I wear somebody down, you know, uh, by praying for them every day, because the Spirit of God is long-suffering and patient. And if he comes to somebody and, and reveals to them that they need to choose A, and they turn around and choose B, you know, he's going to come back around to them tomorrow and say, hey, you still need to choose A. And if tomorrow they choose B, the Spirit of God will come back to him the third day and say, hey, you need to choose A. Uh, and so he, he will be unrelenting. Uh, and, and there's very few people that are that stiff-necked and that stubborn that, uh, that they can go their entire life and resist the, the move and the pull and the love of God. The Bible says that the goodness of God leads a man to repentance. Uh, and you know he will lead them to repent. Uh, if, if they reject him a thousand times, he still will come back to them. Uh, he's not, you know, he doesn't get offended. He doesn't get weary in well-doing. He doesn't lose hope. Uh, he will continue to, to, um, uh, to uh, come to them if you're willing to continue to pray for them. Uh, and if you remember all, all the way back in Ezekiel, we, when we get into, um, into intercession, we'll talk some more about that. But the Bible says that the Lord uh, looked throughout the earth to find a single man that would intercede and make up the hedge and, and fill the gap. Uh, and the Bible says that he found none. And so the Lord it, it desires to uh, help people, uh, but sometimes he needs people to pray on their behalf. Uh, and so, so uh, we had talked about casting your care upon the Lord, and we had read um, Matthew chapter six uh, and the verses in there, which kind of culminated in seek ye first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and all these things will be added unto you. And all the things there, they were all natural things about what you're going to eat, what you're going to drink, what you're going to wear. Those were all natural things. He said the Gentiles have need of these things, just like you do. Uh, and so the distinction is we have the ability to pray and obtain them, whereas they have to pursue them through their own ability and pursue them through um, hook and crook and, and um, you know, every man for himself and that sort of mentality. Um, and that's not how the church operates. That's how the world operates. So, so we have the ability to care. But there was uh, one or two little things I wanted to uh, add to that. Uh, backing up in, uh, into Matthew um chapter 6. And before we talked about the verses about consider the, the birds of the air, the fowl of the air, we had read verse uh, 24 that says, No man can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will hold to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. And that mammon there is talking about riches and money. Uh, and of course in our society, uh, money is is nearly worshipped, and I guess in some circles it is worshipped as being nearly a god. And that if you have money, then you have power. And um, uh, you know, money is no more than a tool in this earth. It's it's just a means of exchange. Uh, it is not spiritual power. Uh, it doesn't provide you any additional benefits with the Lord. Uh, in fact, uh, the Christians should do their very best to give away as much of it as they can. Uh, which, of course, if they do that in faith then the Lord will return unto them as much as he can as well. So it becomes a um, self-replicating 
problem that the more you give away, the more you get. Uh, that's not why we give, but uh, the Lord did promise that if we give with good measure, pressed down, shaking together, running over, so may give it our bosom. So there's never a need uh, for the church to be greedy, uh, but that doesn't mean that there aren't greedy people in church. You know, just ask uh, you know a person if they're a tither, and um, you know, over the years I've helped many people with their finances, uh, and every single person that I've had to help where their finances were in dire straits and that the, the banks were calling and, you know, their bill collectors are coming to take things away. Uh, every single person without exception that I've spoke to uh, over the years about that, uh, none of them were tithers. Not a single one uh, were a tither as far as be, being a faithful, regular tither of, of their first fruits. And, you know, the Bible talks about the first fruits is what you tithe on, you know, things that you bring into your life. The first 10% belongs to the Lord. Uh, and he talked about that in the Old Testament. Jesus talked about that in the Gospels. It's talked about in the Epistles. Uh, and so it's a it's a sound doctrine. Uh, and really, you know, uh, from a practical standpoint, the way that I see it, God owns 100% of my finances. He doesn't own 10%, and then I get to do whatever I want to with the other 90%. He owns all 100%, and I'm willing to, first and foremost, always give it to him 10%. And um, and then above and beyond that, as as he leads me, uh, and uh, and from the day that I've been born again, as a teenager, you know, I've never been without uh, funds, and the Lord has moved sp- uh, supernaturally in my life many times over the years, uh, because I've always been willing to give and never to consume all my finances upon my own desires. Uh, I make sure that I live below my means, so that if the Lord says I need you to give extra. Uh, this week or to that person or, or to the ministry or whatever it is that I have the ability to do that because I'm not consuming all of my finances. And then that's just really some wisdom in that too because what happens a lot of times is people, you know, if they make $500 a week, you know, the, the government takes 30% of that. So now they're down to $250 a week take-home pay. And then, um, you know, the cable bill is, is uh, $50 a week. Now they're down to $200 uh, now, and then they're uh, phone bill uh, is, you know, uh, also maybe $20 a week, you know, then, they, then they've got their car payment, then they've got their house payment, then they've got their groceries, they've got their electric bills, they got the, you know, cable TV, satellites, you know, internet. Uh, by the time you add everything up, uh, there there's yeah, every single dollar, every single dime is completely uh, accounted for, except for uh, the 10% for the Lord. Uh, and that puts people in a, in a in a bind because then their whole life is only uh, their whole life is only there to work to feed. Them. Uh, and it's really a, a tough place to get to in your life. And, um, and and it's not about anything in specific. The Lord doesn't care if you have cable TV or if you have internet or whatever it is. He doesn't care about any of those things. Uh, he doesn't he doesn't want you to to consume everything upon your own desires without having the ability to help those around you, uh, including your church and including other people in your lives. And so so you cannot serve God and mammon. Uh, and so, but I wanted to read a verse. And so Matthew chapter 13 uh, is the story of uh, the sower soweth the word. Uh, and um, we're not going to go through the whole, uh, the whole parable because that would take a long time to do that. Uh, but he does talk about one particular group of people, uh, and this it's the there are four types of soil. This is the third type of soil uh, that he talked about, and he said here in verse twenty-two that he also that receives seed among the thorns is he that heareth the word, and the care of this world and the deceitfulness of riches choke the word, and he become unfruitful. Uh, and so. Um, the whole the whole thing about worry and and cares are it's dealing with your thought life and your thought life uh, if you're not careful uh, you know he didn't say that the cares of this world here verse 22 he didn't say any of the, any of those were sins uh, specifically right um, uh, that they're just maybe you know what I'm going to eat or the things that Matthew chapter 6 talked about eating drinking and what are you going to wear uh, uh, you know, but it could be your house payment, or it could be your car payment, or it could be, you know, there's a lot of cares that are not ungodly in and of themselves, that are just normal cares of this world. That's what he called them, cares of this world, things that you deal with in this in this life that you live on the earth. Uh, and so, uh, but he said that, that they're there, the cares of the world are there, and if you're not careful, 
though those cares will choke faith right out of your life, uh, and and you'll have no faith uh, that you're going to exhibit because you're overwhelmed with the cares. Uh, and he said that the purpose of those cares are to choke the word. Uh, and if the word is choked out of your life, then faith is choked out of your life. Uh, and so, you know, a lot of times that the enemy mankind will will orchestrate a bunch of cares to come into your life uh, for only one purpose, uh, and that's to choke out the faith out of your life. Because a Christian without faith is no threat to the enemy. A Christian without faith uh, is no threat to heal the sick or raise the dead or to, to call the blessings down from heaven on people who have need. Uh, the person without faith is not going to be the person that has the greatest amount of prosperity to help those around them or the, the amount of uh, the ability to help others in their day-to-day walk with the Lord. A person without faith uh, is a person that the rest of the church has to care for because they can't care for themselves spiritually. Somebody else has to care for them. Uh, and so instead of caring for the lost, now we have to care for uh, the members of the church that are unwilling or unable to walk by faith. Uh, and so he said that these the cares of the world will choke the word. But he also said that the deceitfulness of riches... And, you know, the deceitfulness of riches, if I just had enough money, I would be okay. If I just had uh, all the money in the world, you know, and, you know, of course, people say that, well, money can't buy happiness, but it's worth a shot anyway, right? Um, and, of course, money can't buy happiness. But, you know, uh, people kind of use that sometimes to say that it's okay to be poor. But, uh, but whereas money can't buy happiness, uh, poverty also can't buy uh faithfulness or, or piety with the Lord. So, um, you know, poverty can't help you any more than, than, um, than riches can help you. Uh, neither one is going to be a help to you. Uh, but there is a deceitfulness of riches. If I just had enough money, I would be okay. Uh, and, um, of course, a lot of Christians then will go about doing that, obtaining riches in ways that are not godly or in ways that are, aren't the best for them. They may work 24 hours a day, you know, uh, and, um, you know, you can only do that for so long before your physical body gives out. Uh, and so, but I just wanted that, that verse uh, in Matthew chapter 13, that the care of this world uh, will choke the word. And if you're not careful, if you don't deal with your cares, uh, you'll wake up one day and, and, and wonder, do I have any faith at all? Uh, and, and the faith that you did have has been choked out because of, uh, you've allowed these cares to just overwhelm you and, t- and take over your life and take over your thought life. And you don't see a way out. And you don't see that, uh, that there's an answer for these cares. And of course, there always is, right? Uh, many of the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord delivers them out of them all. Uh, and so there is a way out, but you have to be willing to put the work into it. You have to be willing to do what Philippians 4, 6 says, which is by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And then once you prayed that prayer, then you move over into thanksgiving that, Lord, uh, thank you that you're going to answer this prayer in your timing, uh, in your way, how you want to do it. But I'm, I'm not going to worry about it one more minute, one more day, uh, because I've prayed about it. So uh, just know that, uh, that the goal of the cares of this world are to choke the word, because that's always the goal for the enemy of mankind is to choke the word out of your life so that uh, you have a, a constrained ability to walk by faith. Because faith will get you out of everything. Faith will resolve every conflict. Faith will overcome every obstacle. This is the victory that overcometh the world, even our faith. And so if your faith is constrained and choked because of the cares of this world, uh, then uh, you're going to be limited in your ability to overcome uh, anything in this world. Uh, and also then the deceitfulness of riches. So never, never think that your way out is more money. Uh, the way out is always more faith, uh, and the Lord will deal with that. You know, maybe maybe He will uh, allow more finances to come into your life, uh, and if He does, that's great. Uh, but your answer is not more money. Your answer is always more faith, uh, and so so just be careful about that. Uh, you know, not worried about it obviously, but uh, be careful that the thoughts and the worries of your life don't uh, be coming all consuming in your life to the point that. Um, that you are not in faith at all because all you can do is think about your woe, your woes and your worries and your problems. Uh, and so, so that, that is the, uh, the prayer of commitment. And I believe it's, it's, uh, 
for your day-to-day life, it's one of the most effective prayers that you can do. If you want to stay and have a life that's free of, of weight and heaviness, and you know, you can see a lot of Christians who are very weighted and heavy in their life, that they've got so many cares about just different things. And, and the reason is they're not praying. They're not spending time to cast those cares upon the Lord. Uh, and the Lord wants us to have a, a free light, a free weighted life on this earth that we're, we're lighthearted and that we're happy and, and we're, you know, full of joy. And, and, you know, when we get to intercession, you know, it's been my observation that it seems like for some reason that the people that are in intercession, they're always heavy people, weighted down with the cares of what they're interceding about. And, you know, it's find that odd because Jesus said that my yoke is easy, my burden is light. Well, he didn't say that my yoke was easy, my burden on the side, unless you were an intercessor, and then you have a heavy burden uh, of the Lord, because the purpose of intercession is to pray that burden out until you get your release, and then you should have a note of joy in your life because you prayed the, the prayer of intercession. And, and so, but uh, let's turn over to uh, 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 14, so we're going to shift gears a little bit here, and and um, and now we're going to talk about uh, the prayer of uh, speaking with other tongues. Uh, and so um, there, there are, of course, we know um, in uh, the book of Acts that, um, uh, and, and you know, I don't want to get too far down this, down this path, but we may end up going down a whole bunch of different paths here. So uh, we're going to turn over to John chapter 4, take a little side journey here. And so in John chapter 4, um, he was talking with the woman at the well there. Uh, and so he said to the woman in, in John chapter 4, in verse 14, he said, But whosoever drinketh of the water that I shall give him shall never thirst, but the water that I shall give him shall be in him a well of water springing up into everlasting life. So here he's talking about the, the Holy Spirit, and uh, but he's talking about the Holy Spirit as a well springing up into everlasting life. Uh, and so this is talking about the new birth, the 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 period of time when before this event occurs, uh, people were not a, a member of the, the uh, household of God. They were not a Christian. And then they receive uh, the work of the Lord through the new birth. And by doing that, they receive eternal life inside of them and they become a born-again Christian. So this is a work of, of the Lord uh, to get a Christian born again. But then uh, when we come over to uh, John chapter 7, um, of course, he, he's got uh, um, uh, a lot of different things to say here about John chapter 7. But, um, uh, but we come down here to uh, verse 37. He said, In the last day, that great day of the feast, Jesus stood and cried, saying, If any man thirst, let him come to me and drink. And he that believeth on me, as the scripture hath said, out of his belly shall flow rivers of living water. But this spake he of the Spirit, which, which they that believe on him should receive, for the Holy Ghost was not yet given, because that Jesus was not yet glorified. So in John chapter 4, he talked about the Spirit of God, the Holy Spirit, being a, a well springing up into everlasting life. But here he's talking about this Holy Spirit being uh, rivers of living water. And so it's the same Holy Spirit that's both water but there's two different works. One is a well, which is, which is uh, you know, it's water used for your personal benefit. And then a river, uh, which uh, is going to be the, to the benefit of many people, all those around you. Uh, and the work of the Holy Spirit, uh, it's the same Holy Spirit, but there's two works of the Holy Spirit in every believer's life. Uh, and the first work is always salvation, uh, without exception. And the second work... Uh, can be and should be being baptized with the Holy Ghost with the evidence of speaking with other tongues. Uh, and so we're, uh, we're there in John. Uh, if we go over to, uh, to John chapter 20, um, then um, this is after, um, uh, after the resurrection of the Lord Jesus and he appeared to the disciples there and he said to them in verse 21, uh, Peace be unto you as my Father has, said, has sent me, even so send I you. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and saith unto them, Receive ye the Holy Ghost. Whosoever sins ye remit, they are remitted unto them. And whosoever sins ye retain, they are retained. Uh, and so uh, here in John chapter 20, he told the disciples, now he, this is after the cross. So 
after the cross and the resurrection is when men are qualified now to receive uh, eternal life in them because Jesus paid the price for them to be born again. Uh, and so now the price has been fully paid. Now people have the ability to be born again. And uh, this is the very first uh, example and instance in the Word of God where anybody was born again after the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. And so when he said, Receive ye the Holy Ghost, uh, then in that moment they received the Holy Ghost and became born-again Christians. And so uh, they had already believed on Jesus, they knew about Jesus, but uh, they needed that last work of the Holy Spirit to then have the well of salvation, uh, uh, the well of water springing up into everlasting life. Uh, so that that is the group of the disciples here in John chapter 20, but then we, we continue on uh, on this rabbit path to uh, the book of Acts. Of course, we know what happens in the book of Acts there. Uh, it says um, in um, Acts chapter 2. Now, uh, in fact, let's back up a little bit to Acts chapter 1. Um, in Acts chapter 1, it says in verse 4, and be assembled together with them. So now this is, of course, Acts chapter 4. One occurs after John chapter 20, which I know kind of makes sense, but you know, I want to make sure we get the timeline right because the timeline is kind of important in this process to understand how all these things work. Um, so, in John chapter 20, they were born again. Now they're gathered together in the upper room uh, in Jerusalem. It's getting near to the day of Pentecost, so it's been about 50 days from uh, the Passover till now. That's Pentecost uh, is 50 days after Passover. Uh, and so now they're assembled together with them. Jesus commanded them that they should not depart from Jerusalem, but wait for the promise of the Father, which saith he, ye have heard of me. For John truly baptized with water, but ye shall be baptized with the Holy Ghost not many days hence. So he told them to receive the Holy Spirit in John chapter 20, which they did and became born again. But now he's saying you're, you're going to have another work of the Holy Spirit called being baptized with the Holy Spirit. Uh, not many days hence. So it hasn't quite gotten to uh, uh, Pentecost yet, but it's getting really close. And so they asked him a bunch of questions there. Uh, you know, are you going to restore the kingdom of Israel? He said, it's not yours to know that. He said in verse 8, he said, but you shall receive power. That word power there is dunamis, the supernatural miracle work and power of God. He said, you shall receive power. Uh, after that, the Holy Ghost has come upon you. And so in in verse 4, Five, he called it being baptized with the Holy Ghost. In verse 8, he called it uh, having the Holy Ghost coming upon you. Uh, and he says, uh, and after that, uh, you shall be witnesses unto me both in Jerusalem and in Judea and in Samaria and, and unto the uttermost part of the earth. Uh, and so this is a, you know, I don't, I don't want to go, we're already down a, a rabbit path, but I could go down more rabbit paths here. Um, you know, if you think about it, the, these People were born again. These men and women were born again in John chapter 20. But the Lord said, I don't want you witnessing to anybody yet. I don't want you going out and being a witness. I don't want you going out and evangelizing. I don't want you going and telling the gospel, preaching the gospel. He said, I don't want you to do anything until after the Holy Spirit has come upon you. Uh, and um, he said, after that point in time, after you're born again, and then after the Holy Spirit has come upon you, or after you're born again, and after you're baptized with the Holy Spirit, then you're qualified to preach the gospel to all the world. Uh, and if you think about how many Christians are not baptized with the Holy Spirit that's trying to preach the gospel, that's trying to evangelize outside the power of God. Uh, and, um, I mean, you know, uh, if you look at a lot of uh, men's ways of doing it, they come up with tricky little, you know, sayings and the Roman road and, and, and the, four, uh, the four spiritual laws and, you know, different things. Really, they're kind of just intellectual exercises trying to, to uh, uh, out-debate somebody in their mind to become a Christian. Whereas if you just raise a couple people from the dead, people are pretty uh, interested in getting born again without much debate. Uh, and so, so Jesus wanted them to not do anything, not go anywhere, not preach anything, not teach anything until they were baptized with the Holy Spirit. So uh, that's kind of the setup then. Now you get to chapter 2. It says, and when the day of Pentecost was fully come, they were all with one accord in one place. And suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of a mighty rushing wind, and it filled all the house where they were sitting. And there appeared unto them cloven tongues like as a fire, and it sat on each one of them. 
And they were all filled with the Holy Ghost and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Uh, and so, um, so this is, we call it the Pentecostal experience, but you know, the Lord never intended that there even be a Pentecostal church. There is a Pentecostal church, you know, a charismatic church. Uh, but the Lord never intended to be a, a Pentecostal church and then everybody else. It's like saying the Lord wanted a Christian church and then he wanted everybody else. Well, I mean, a Christian church is everybody else. And so uh, it was always the Lord's intent that the entire church was a Pentecostal church. So there really would not be a need for a Pentecostal, uh, Pentecostal denomination uh, specifically that's unique, that says, well, we believe in speaking in tongues and the other denominations don't. It was never the intention of the Lord for that to be. It was always the intention of the Lord that everybody speak in other tongues. And, uh, yeah, and of course, I know in every church, and every denomination, there are people who speak with other tongues. They may not make it publicly known because in certain denominations, they will throw you out of the church if they find out that you speak with other tongues. Um, and so, but, that, but that's the plan. The Lord intended that every Christian be baptized with the Holy Ghost. And, and really, to put it in the order, he, uh, he intended for every man, woman, and child to receive the work of the Holy Spirit to get born again, and then to receive the work of the Holy Spirit to be baptized with the Holy Spirit and receive the ability to speak with other tongues. Uh, and now, some people don't believe that, uh, that uh, speaking with other tongues is, um, uh, is part of the baptism of the Holy Spirit, but we see right here that, that this particular case, that they were baptized with the Holy Spirit and they spoke with other tongues. Uh, and of course, um, you come down to the same chapter there. Uh, you come down to uh, verse uh, 39. It says, For the promise is unto you uh, and unto your children and to all that are far off, even as many as the Lord our God shall call. So the promise for being baptized with the Holy Spirit, uh, in fact, he said that in the very previous verse, you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promises unto you, to your children, and to all that are far off, even as many as the Lord our God shall call. So that would be everybody, right? Uh, if he's called everybody, then everybody should be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Uh, and if there's promises for everyone, then everybody should speak with other tongues. Uh, and so that's that's chapter 2. Uh, if you continue on and look over in, uh, also in the book of Acts, look at Acts chapter 8. Uh, and of course, Acts chapter 8, was Paul was... was uh, I um, had just finished watching over the execution of, of uh, uh, Stephen. Uh, but then it says um, in verse 5, uh, Then Philip went down to the city of Samaria and preached Christ unto them. And the people with one accord gave heed unto those things which, sp which Philip spake, hearing and seeing the miracles which he did. For unclean spirits crying with loud voice came out of many that were possessed with them, and many taken with palsies, and they were uh, and that and that were lame were healed. And there was great joy in that city. So, you know, one way to get great joy in the city is have some miracles. Um, and he said, but there was a certain man called Simon, which before time in the same city used sorcery and bewitched the people of Samaria, giving out that he himself was some great, uh, some great one, to whom they all gave heed from the least to the greatest, saying, this, this man is the great power of God. And, of course, that's a little aside there, but... Uh, you know, there are a lot of lying signs and wonders, and lying signs and wonders are, uh, you can see right here, who's getting the glory for these lying signs and wonders? Simon is. Uh, and that tells you right there that it's not of God. So if somebody's doing miracles and they're getting all the glory, look at me, look how wonderful I am, uh, then, uh, you know, they're not of God. Those miracles are not of God. That I mean, it's really not that hard to figure these things out, but um, you can either follow the money or follow the glory uh, and both will lead you to the truth of whether the thing that you're looking at is of God or not. Uh, and he said, and to, him that, uh, and to him they had regard because that of a long time he had bewitched them with sorcery. But when they believed uh, Philip preaching the things concerning the kingdom of God in the name of Jesus, they were baptized, both men and women. Then Simon himself uh, believed also. And when he was baptized, he continued with Philip and wondering and beholding the miracles and signs which were done. Now when the apostles which were at Jerusalem heard that Samaria had received the word of God, they sent unto them Peter and John, uh, who, when they were come down, prayed for them that they might receive the Holy Ghost. For as yet he was fallen upon none of them, only they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. And when they laid their hands on them, they received the Holy Ghost. Uh, now, it doesn't say in here that they began to speak with other tongues, 
But it says in verse 18, And when Simon saw that through the laying on of the apostles' hands the Holy Ghost was given, he offered them money. So what did Simon see uh, that uh, caused him to, to recognize that an event occurred in her life? Well, he would see the same thing that happened uh, in Acts chapter 2, verse 4, that they, that they received the Holy Spirit and they began to speak with other tongues. And that would make an impression on somebody if they hadn't seen that before. Uh, if they just laid hands on him and nothing changed, no outward appearance changed, then um, you know he was more uh, he had been more interested in trying to obtain what Philip was doing with signs and wonders. Uh, but in this case, he saw a spectacular miracle, and they were speaking with other tongues. And so he tried to, of course, he tried to offer them money there, but um, uh, that didn't work out so well for him. Uh, so uh, that's the second case there uh, that tongues are a sign from the Lord. Uh, in part of the, the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Uh, and then sometimes people say, well, you know, that stopped with the last apostles because only apostles laid hands on people to receive the Holy Spirit. Uh, but, you know, we know uh, in the very next chapter there that uh, Paul, he was still called Saul at this point in time, on the road to Damascus, the Lord Jesus appeared to him and said, Saul, Saul, why persecutest thou me? And he said, Who are you, Lord? He said, I'm Jesus, whom thou persecutest. Uh, and so, uh, so uh, Paul was struck uh, on the road to Damascus. Uh, he was struck blind, not from disease, but by the glory of God. Uh, and so then he goes off uh, on to Damascus and is, and is waiting there. And the Lord uh, appeared to another man in verse 10. He said there was a certain disciple at Damascus named Ananias. Now, Ananias, we don't know anything about him. I mean, he was just a disciple. He was not an apostle. He was not a prophet. He was not a minister of the gospel. He wasn't a pastor. He was just a disciple. Uh, and I don't mean that in a, in a negative sense, uh, but I want to make sure that, that we understand that he wasn't a, a, an apostle here. So, uh, so he said... Uh, uh, the Lord appeared to him in a vision and said, Ananias. And he said, Behold, I am here, Lord. You know, that's always the right answer. When the Lord calls your name, just like uh, with uh, uh, Samuel, uh, Lord, I'm here, right? Uh, and so, you know, the, you don't want the Lord to have to say, Hey, where are you? Um, you know, you, when the Lord says your name, says, Behold, I am here, Lord. And the Lord said unto him, Arise and go into the street, which is called Straight, and inquire in the house of Judas for one called Saul of Tarsus, for behold, he prayeth, and hath seen in a vision a man named Ananias coming in and putting his hand on him that he might receive his sight. Then, of course, Ananias answers, Lord, now I have heard by many of this man how much evil he hath done to thy saints at Jerusalem. And here he hath authority from the chief priest to bind all that call upon thy name. Uh, and so, you know, it's never uh, it's never an appropriate thing to try to tell the Lord something that he already knows, right? Uh, Lord, I know you don't know this, but, you know, Saul's not really a great guy. Uh, and, um, you know, it's, uh, it's really not uh, helpful to try to explain to the Lord things that he already knows. Uh, but the Lord said, Go thy way, for he is a chosen vessel unto me to bear my name before the Gentiles and kings and children of Israel. For I will show him how great things he must suffer for my name's sake. And Ananias went his way and entered in the house, and putting his hands upon him said, so the very next word that he said was Brother Saul. So uh, Paul, he called him Brother Saul. So, you know, the people of this world are not our brothers and sisters. I know sometimes people say, we're all brothers and sisters. Well, we're really not, you know. I mean, the church is brothers and sisters, but everybody else are children of, of the devil. Uh, and that's not, we're not trying to be mean or unkind. That's what Jesus called them, said, you are of your father, the devil. Uh, and so you're either of the father of, of uh, either your father is the Lord God and you're a Christian or your father is the devil. There's not really anything in between. Uh, and so people love to talk about the brotherhood of man. Uh, I'm not related to anybody that's outside the church, you know, as far as uh, by spirit. Uh, and so he called him Brother Saul. So at this point, Saul was already born again. He had received the Lord. Uh, he got born again. Uh, and he said, The Lord, even Jesus, that appeared unto thee in the way as thou camest, has sent me that thou mayest receive thy sight and be filled with the Holy Ghost. So the Lord must have given Ananias some additional instructions because he had told him earlier that you need to go and um, pray for his sight, that he restored his sight. But also, 
that he be filled with the Holy Ghost. Now, he is God, he does have the Holy Ghost because he's born again, because he's brother Saul, but he needs the work of the Holy Ghost. And of course, later on in, in uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 14, Paul said, I thank God that I speak in tongues more than you all. So uh, uh, Ananias did lay hands on him. He said, immediately there fell from his eyes as, as it had been scales, and he received sight forthwith and arose and was baptized. And so he was water baptized. So notice the order of events here that uh, he was born again first, and then he was baptized with the Holy Spirit second, uh, with the evidence of speaking with other tongues. And thirdly, uh, that uh, he was water baptized. And so the order of events always has to be number one, uh, you get born again. And then the other two baptisms, one is the baptism of the Holy Spirit, uh, and it's really, they're all three baptisms because the Bible calls being born again, being baptized into the body of Christ. So that's the very first baptism. It's a spiritual baptism that a person goes through. The second baptism then is either water baptism or it's uh, being baptized uh, in the Holy Spirit with the evidence speaking of the tongues. We see them in both orders in, in the Gospels or in, in the book of Acts. Uh, and so uh, it's always the first one has to be being baptized into the body of Christ. And then the other two can, can be in whatever order uh, is convenient for that person. Uh, but they should all be done. All three of them should be done. And, um, uh, uh, and you know, we're, we're commanded to do those things, and they're necessary for us. And so that was uh, Paul's experience in Acts, uh, chapter, uh, Acts chapter 9. And then uh, we come down to Acts chapter 10, uh, and that's the story with uh, Cornelius uh, there. Um, and so uh, we're not going to go through the, all of the uh, uh, all of the whole story there because we've been um, uh, we've been um, we'd be here a long time. So so there was a man Cornelius. In fact, we'll just read the very first verse of Acts chapter ten. It says there was a certain man in Caesarea called Cornelius, a, a centurion of the band called the Italian band, a devout man and one that feared God with all this house, which gave much alms to the people and prayed to God always. He saw in a vision evidently about the ninth hour of the day an angel of God coming into him and saying unto him, Cornelius. And when he looked at him, he was afraid. He said, What is it, Lord? And he said to them, Thy prayers and thy alms are come up for memorial before God. And now send men to Joppa and call for one, son, call for one Simon, whose surname is Peter. He lodgeth with one Simon a tanner, whose house is by the seaside, he shall tell thee what thou oughtest to do. So uh, Cornelius sent for Peter, and of course uh, Cornelius' problem was uh, he was a Gentile. And uh, this is in Acts chapter 10, so it's been about 10 years since, since the Lord Jesus had been uh, resurrected, and the church of Jerusalem is still not out preaching the gospel to the Gentiles, even though uh, Jesus said you'll go into all the world to preach the gospel. He didn't say only all to the Jewish world. He said to go to all the world in, in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and in the uttermost parts of the earth. Uh, and, and so for whatever reason, they never did get it, you know. Uh, and so they're still hanging around with each other. So uh, they sent to, to Peter, uh, hey, come and preach to us. Uh, we, we had a vision from an angel. And so uh, Peter goes to the Cornelius' house in verse 34, and it says, Then Peter opened his mouth, uh, preaching in Cornelius' house, and said, Of a truth I perceive that God is no respecter of persons, but in every nation he that feareth him and worketh righteousness is accepted with him. So he's realizing it's not just the Jews that are available, uh, that, that have uh, salvation available to them. He said, The word which God sent unto the children of Israel, preaching peace by Jesus Christ, he is Lord of all. That word I say you know, which was published throughout all Judea, and began from Galilee after the baptism which John preached. How God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Ghost and with power, who went about doing good and healing all that were oppressed of the devil. Uh, for God was with them. And we are witnesses of all things which he did both in the land of the Jews and in Jerusalem, whom they slew and hanged on a tree. Him God raised up on the third day and showed him openly not to all the people, but unto witnesses chosen before of God, even to us, who did eat and drink with them after he rose from the dead. And he commanded us to preach unto the people and to testify that he is, uh, that it is he which was ordained of God to be the judge of quick and the dead. To him give all the prophets witness that through his name, whosoever believeth in him shall receive remissions of sin. So that's Peter's 
uh, preaching to the Gentiles at Cornelius' house. And it says in verse 44, While Peter yet spake these words, the Holy Ghost fell on them which heard the word. And they of the circumcision which believed were astonished, as many as came with Peter, because that on the Gentiles also was poured out the gift of the Holy Ghost. For they heard them speak with tongues and magnify God. Then answered Peter, Can any man forbid water that he should be baptized, which had received the Holy Spirit as well as we? And they commanded them to be baptized in the name of the Lord. Uh, And so this is another case where uh, they were baptized with the Holy Spirit, with the evidence of speaking with other tongues, and so it's pretty consistent throughout that. And yet people still argue about it. You know, they fuss about it, you know, and, and for whatever reason, uh, they want to not have tongues as being part of the supernatural experience of a Christian's life. But, it, you know, if you think about it, it's really, uh, it's very a unique, very unique spiritual gift of speaking with the tongues. It's, it's unique only to the church age. So all the other manifestations of the Spirit of God, there's nine of them listed in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, uh, and uh, really with seven of them are, are all found in the Old Testament. So you've got the word of wisdom, the word of knowledge, the discerning of spirits, special faith, working of miracles, gifts of healings, and then you've got prophecy. So uh, th- that's uh, seven of them, and then you've got tongues and interpretation of tongues. Uh, and so those two go together. So tongues, uh, all the other gifts of the Spirit, you know, there were plenty of healings, plenty of miracles, plenty of special faith, plenty of prophecies, uh, in the Old Testament, even in the ministry of Jesus, uh, but there were no tongues spoken in the Old Testament, no tongues spoken in, in the Gospels, until we got to uh, Acts chapter 2. So tongues is very unique to the church age, and it's really given to us as a sign uh, to, uh, to assist us, and, not, and it's more than a sign, it's really a, an asset to us. Uh, but it's the nice thing about speaking with other tongues is that it's supernatural. And you can do it any time that you want to. Uh, and uh, it, it's, it's a great way to stay connected with uh, the Spirit of God. Uh, and so, uh, given all of that, then, um, uh, let's see, we're, we're in the book of Acts. Now we can turn over to 1 Corinthians chapter 14. See what time we got there. So, we got a little bit of time here. So, uh, in... Uh, and in First Corinthians, of course, First Corinthians talks more about uh, speaking in the tongues than uh, pretty much every other book of the Bible. We find out more information about it and its purpose uh, and necessity to the church. But the one thing you got to understand, though, is if it was always the intent that Jesus, from the from the head of the church, that every Christian be baptized with the Holy Spirit and speak with other tongues. And it was, you know, according to what Jesus himself said there in Acts chapter 1 uh, and also in Acts chapter 2, that if, if it was always the intent, then the general understanding for every Christian receiving any epistle from any of the apostles is that they were not only born again, but they also uh, were baptized by the Holy Spirit and spoke with other tongues. So that's the general understanding that every Christian has already experienced uh, this particular uh, event in their lives, both of works of the Holy Spirit. Uh, and, and that's the assumption, just like the assumption of every epistle is that the person receiving that epistle is a member of the church, right? A, a, a born-again Christian. But it's also assumed that every Christian has received the Holy Spirit. Uh, and so Paul doesn't have to go through every single epistle and say, oh, by the way, get born again, which he doesn't do. And by the way, also be baptized with the Holy Spirit, speak with other tongues. Uh, he doesn't have to tell him that because that's the general understanding that that's the plan of God from the beginning. Uh, and so... Uh, but but uh, in praying with other tongues, there's some confusion about that. That's what we want to go through, and we won't get through all of it today, I don't think. Uh, but uh, like a lot of things, there is, uh, just like in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, it talks about having the gift of special faith uh, as one of the nine gifts of the Spirit. But we know that every Christian, according to Romans chapter 12, verse 3, that every man has been given a measure of faith. So everybody has faith, so why is there special faith? that's given to us in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, or 1 Corinthians chapter 12. Well, in that case, that special faith is used for special works. Typically, it's either used for casting out devils or raising people from the dead. Um, and, and so that needs more than just the ordinary faith of a Christian to do those types of special works from the Lord. Um, and so it's the same thing with tongues. 
there is two general uses of tongues. One of them is listed there in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. Uh, but here, uh, let, let's read here in uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 14. It says in verse 13, it says, Wherefore, let him that speaketh in an unknown tongue pray that he may interpret. For if I pray in an unknown tongue, my spirit prayeth, but my understanding is unfruitful. So uh, this is talking about praying in an unknown tongue. He said when you do that, uh, you should also pray that you may interpret. Now, uh, this is the, the use of speaking on the tongues in your private prayer life. Uh, and you should pray in tongues in your private prayer life because, as we'll find out later on, that uh, praying with other tongues is really the perfect prayer because uh, they are words given to you by the Spirit according to, to uh, Acts chapter 2. It says, and they all spake with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. So the words that come to you as you pray with other tongues come from the Spirit of God, which is nice because now you have a direct connection to the supernatural world and um, it, it puts you in contact and uh, in communication with the realm of the Spirit. Uh, and so... Uh, the first use and the primary use for speaking with other tongues is in your personal private prayer life. Um, and Paul says when you pray in an unknown tongue, your spirit prays, but your understanding is unfruitful. So uh, praying with other tongues is praying by your spirit, with your spirit, not with your mind. And so people think, well, I think in tongues. Well, you know, I don't know even what that means, you know, uh, because tongues has to come from your spirit. If your spirit is one that prays. Uh, and not your mind. But he does also say in verse 13 that when you speak in an unknown tongue, pray that you may interpret. So, you know, tongues and interpretation of tongues are two of the spiritual gifts in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. But, um, uh, you know, you're not always guaranteed to, to um, uh, interpret what you're praying in other tongues. Uh, but you can pray and ask the Lord to do that, to, to let you interpret that. And it is a good exercise to do that, to train yourself how to sense the leading of the Spirit in interpreting tongues. And I know, you know, one, one particular instance in, in my life that was a very unusual uh, instance in this case was uh, I was, had been traveling for work and, um, uh, and I was trying to get back. Uh, my schedule was such that I was going to get back uh, home on a Wednesday night, and I, w I was supposed to get back in plenty of time for church. Well, you know how that goes traveling sometimes. You know, planes are slow, and people are slow, and luggage is slow, so a lot of things are slow. Uh, and so uh, I'm getting back, but I'm getting back. Uh, church had already started, so I'm getting back late. Uh, but I still wanted to get on to church, so. Uh, but it was about an hour drive from uh, the airport to, uh, to home, uh, into the church, and so I just spent time in prayer, uh, as I often do, and by myself, I'll pray in other tongues and pray, you know, I'll pray with my understanding, you know, Lord, you know, I'll pray for sister, do dad, and mom and dad, and, and, and um, children, and wives, and dogs, and cats, and everything above that, you know, and then, then you run out of things in your, in your understanding to pray for, and then you can uh, jump over into praying in the Spirit, praying with other tongues, uh, because then the Spirit's giving you the words, and so they're, they're going to be great words to pray, great prayers to pray. So, um, but having done that for a period of time on the way home, then the interpretation of those uh, prayers started coming up, and, and it's an unction of the Lord, and it requires just a little bit of faith in your part to yield to that. And so um, it's really very similar. Uh, uh, interpreting tongues is, also, is very similar to speaking with other tongues because... Uh, it, it's an utterance that comes from the Lord, although this utterance is in English, whereas the utterance of speaking other tongues is in an unknown language. But it's still an utterance that comes up out of your spirit. And just like tongues, you have to have faith to do it. You have to be willing to yield to it. And also, the other thing that's, that's, uh, that may be helpful in that is you don't get a, an email uh, in your heart with all of the words that are, that are there. You get, just like with tongues, you get an utterance to speak something. And as you speak, the more you speak, the more words come up out of your belly and to speak. And it's the same thing with interpretation that you'll get one or two words. You'll get a phrase uh, of the beginning. And as you're willing to yield to that, then more comes along with it uh, after, after you say those first few words. And the more that you do that, the more comfortable you can be with just interpreting that language uh, that you just spoke 
by yielding to those English words, just like you're yielding to the words of the Spirit. And so, uh, uh, so I started interpret- interpreting what I was, um, what I was uh, had been praying in other tongues. And you know, it didn't really make a lot of sense to me. It was it was like a message, you know, like a like a preaching message, of uh, uh, teaching message of the word. Uh, and I didn't really think much about it. You know, it was edifying, and it was you know, good word, good teaching method, a uh, good word from the Lord about that. Uh, and then at some point, then I arrived at church and got there about halfway uh, through the service. Uh, but from when I sat down, then for the rest of the service. Nearly every word verbatim that the pastor said was what I had interpreted in other tongues on the way home, uh, and you know I just believe that was a sign from the Lord just about that. That uh, hey, you know this is this was really a, a an interpretation from you, uh, and just point after point after point that he kept making from that from the rest of the service on uh, was exactly what I had uh, interpreted after having prayed into the tongues, and the Lord gave the interpretation. And you may think, well, that's just crazy. You know, well, you know, the, the Lord is, it does plenty of unusual things. And, and uh, it was really just the, a sign for my benefit. Uh, and it was something I'd prayed out in my personal prayer life. So that's that's the prayer uh, of tongues. And we're going to look at uh, some more details about that. We're about out of time today. Uh, in fact, maybe we'll just stop there. We'll pick up because uh, next week we've got to talk about uh, the public use of praying into the tongues and how that operates. And so... Um, uh, we'll we'll pick that up next week there, but uh, but number one, every single Christian uh, that loves the Lord, that's born again, ought to be speaking with other tongues. There's no exception, you know. There's no reason why you wouldn't do it. No reason why you shouldn't do it, uh, because we're gonna we already found out there that uh, uh, that your spirit is praying, and you're gonna find out that it's the perfect prayer. And why wouldn't you want to do that? You know, uh, and yet people say, well, that's not for me, or you know, I'm uncomfortable doing that, or um, you know, it's like saying you're uncomfortable walking in love. You're uncomfortable reading the Word of God. You're uncomfortable having a relationship with the Lord Jesus. Uh, there's kind of smoke screens, and I understand that the, you know the Pentecostal Church has not done a great job over the years in showing the value of these things. That we've been a little religious in some things, and, and a little bit hardcore in some things, to the point of, of uh, uh, you know being exclusive and, and uh, acting like maybe we're better than other people because we speak with other tongues and. Um, you know, I'm not better than anybody because I speak with other tongues. It's it's part of the born again experience, part of the, the salvation experience. The Lord desires for all of us to have, uh, and it's to our advantage. Amen. If He gives us a gift, you know that I I want to have that gift. If He if He gave it to me, then I would like to have it. You know, I I wouldn't say no, and yet there are plenty of Christians who say no, they don't want to do it, and uh, and uh, it's really uh, to their loss because as we'll find out, we're going to go through the the purposes and the values of speaking in the tongues. Um, uh, it's if it's a gift from the Lord, then we shouldn't reject it. Amen. Uh, and so that's just a little bit about uh, the foundation of speaking with other tongues. And um, uh, every man, woman, and child on the earth that's a Christian ought to speak with other tongues. Uh, and uh, it's not necessary for salvation uh, because uh, everybody that, that had received tongues in the New Testament had already been born again on the way to heaven. So uh, it is not a requirement for salvation, but it, it is a requirement because the head of the church told us to do that. He told us to not leave Jerusalem until you're endued with power from on high. He said, don't do anything until you have the Spirit of God. Uh, so it is it is a, um, uh, a work that the head of the church has instructed all of us to receive. And, uh, and so, you know, there is a bit of, uh, uh, of uh, an answering for those things. If, if we decide that's not for us and then we arrive in heaven, the Lord's going to ask us, did we do everything that he told us to do? And if we say, well, Lord, I didn't speak with other tongues because that wasn't for me. He said, I thought I was the head of the church, you know, and not you. And, and if he as the head of the church instructed us to do that, then we as humble servants of the Lord should be glad to receive the Spirit of God and speak with other tongues. Um, and so why don't we pray and we'll thank the Lord for his word today. So, Father, we thank you for the word of God. We thank you, Father, that uh, you've given us such great gifts in the New Testament, specifically, Father, the gift of speaking with other tongues, uh, to be filled with the Spirit, Father, to be baptized with the Spirit, to be to have the Spirit of God come upon us, Father, all these phrases you've used in your Word. And, Father, we thank you that we have the ability to speak with other tongues any time that we desire, Father, any time that, that you want us to do that, Father, uh, we can do that. And, Father, we yield to your Spirit each and every day. We yield to the Spirit of God each and every day, Father. 
We pray in other tongues, Father, as you give us utterance. And Father, we thank you that you give us the interpretation uh, as you see fit, Father, in these times. And so, Father, we thank you for these things, and we give you the praise and the honor for it, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, praise God. The Lord is good. I was going to say, let's get ready to receive this evening's offering, but, uh, you know, if you, you're welcome to send us an offering, of course, uh, but um, we're not going to receive an offering tonight. But don't forget, Sunday, um, we will have regular church back at the church there. Uh, Chris will be out of quarantine, uh, and... Um, uh, she's not going to be typhoid Mary or anything like that. She'll be fully recovered by then. And, um, uh, but we're going to put off having our church meal, uh, until, uh, Sunday, May the 16th. And, uh, and we'll pick up prayer service on Friday night, uh, next month as well. Uh, so y'all be blessed. Have a wonderful weekend, Lord. We'll